Well, take your Bibles and turn to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 10 and following. 1 John 5 in verse 10. Over the last few weeks, we have been focusing on the incarnation of Christ. And why not? This is Christmas, the Son of God taking on humanity. And then last week, we talked about adoring Him because He came to do the Father's will, to be the Savior and Redeemer of mankind, and one day be ruler. And yet, to adore and worship Him You must know Him. And that is what I want to speak on today. You know, hearing the story of Jesus is wonderful. But the real question is, what will you do with Jesus? It's kind of like an old hymn. What will you do with Jesus? Neutral, you cannot be. One day your heart will be asking, what will He do with me? And that is what John addressed in our text for today. And so I want you to follow as I read verses 10 to 13. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his Son. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And may God add His blessing to the reading of that portion of Scripture. As you probably noticed there, the word testimony or witness is mentioned three. Actually, it's mentioned four times in verses 10 and 11. Some translations don't capture one of them, but it is there. It's the word which ties our text for today to the previous context and was used a total of ten times. And so this was John's theme in verses 6 through verse 13, whereby he was emphasizing and confirming the person of Jesus, that indeed he was and is God. Oh, how important that is. You see, there were false teachers at the time, just like there's false teachers today. During that time, there were Gnostics. They denied the deity of Jesus. But as the apostle pointed out there in verses 6 to 9, there were three which give testimony otherwise. And that is the spirit, the water, and the blood. The water and the blood are external testimonies, referring to the baptism and death of Jesus. And at both of those events, he was declared to be the Son of God. In fact, you can see that in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You can also go to Matthew chapter 27 and verse 54. But even right here in 1 John, we see that Jesus indeed is God. Notice what it says across the page in 1 John 4, 
Verse 10. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means satisfaction. In order for him to be the satisfaction for our sins, to satisfy the wrath of God upon sin, he must be God. He left the realms of glory, came here, took on humanity, lived a perfect life, and thus became that lamb without spot and blemish, dying for our sins and satisfying the wrath of God upon sin. He had to be God in order to do that. Look down at verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world or the Deliverer of the world. A Deliverer from sin. In order for Him to do that, He must be God. The Spirit, on the other hand, affirmed Christ's identity throughout His ministry as He performed miracles. In fact, Peter, in the book of Acts, Chapter 10 and verse 38 says this, You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed. And it's the Spirit of God who internalizes the testimony of Jesus by convincing our hearts of his identity. And that is exactly what you see here In chapter 5, verses 10 through 13. Jesus said in John chapter 16, verses 8 to 11, that another comforter would come and he would convict or convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's come to convince of sin, that you are a sinner. He's come to convince of righteousness, that righteousness is found only in Jesus. And he's come to convict the world of judgment. That for those who refuse the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior will one day face judgment. And so can you say that your heart has been convinced of the person and work of Christ? Oh, how I pray that it has. That you are a sinner and that Jesus is the answer. Well, I want to help answer that for you this morning from our passage of Scripture. And so I want you to consider with me two ways. That's it. Two ways that you can know that the testimony of Christ abides in you. That it's gone from the external to the internal. And I trust this morning that it will cause you to examine your hearts and respond appropriately as the Spirit of God leads you. Look with me at the first way here. And we see that in verse 10 to begin with. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. Now look with me at verse 13 as well. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know 
that you have eternal life. What is clear here? Very, very clear. You know that the testimony of Christ abides in you by believing in the Son. That's right. You know that the testimony of Christ has moved from the external to the internal by believing in the Son. As you noticed here, that word believe is mentioned four times in the two verses that we read. It's stressed. And I want you to understand that that word believe, as the apostle meant it, is more than just a mental assent to certain facts about Jesus. Although that's very, very necessary, right? Sure. But as James pointed out in his epistle, James 2 in verse 19, the demons also believe and shudder. They believe in the person and work of Christ. They're convinced of it. And yet they're terrified. Why? Because their doom is sealed. Genuine belief involves trusting Christ. Committing, surrendering yourself to Him. That's why it says, believe in or into the Son. You're becoming a part of Him. Not just knowing about Him. Let me illustrate through the story of Blondin. He was a tightrope walker. And one time he walked across Niagara Falls on a tightrope or a wire. How many of you have been to Niagara Falls? Okay, a good portion of you have. I mean, it's incredible. I mean, it's just almost scary to stand next to the falls, the power of that water. But no, he had a line strung across Niagara Falls and he walked across it and walked back. There was a huge crowd. And they're saying, oh, yay, Blondin. Then he grabbed a wheelbarrow. And he walked all the way across and came right back. And oh, man, they were just mesmerized by this. And then he said these words. How many of you believe that I could put a person into this wheelbarrow and walk across the back? And everybody's going, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he pointed to the guy on the front row and he says, jump in. Oh, no, I'm not going to do that. You see, though people say they believe in Christ, they don't commit themselves to Him. Because, for one reason, they love their sin. Or, they are holding on to traditions, their religion, their good works with which they've been raised. And they don't want to surrender all of that and trust Christ alone. They believe there's some type of merit in this. And there's not, because the scriptures tell us there's not. I mean, isn't the testimony of who Jesus is and what he has done enough? I mean, really, isn't that enough? Yes. Jesus said of himself in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
In other words, he's saying, I am the way, the only way. There is no other way. And I know that's what he meant there, because even the disciples or the apostles in the book of Acts, as they preached the message of Jesus, said that very thing. Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given amongst men, whereby we must be saved. He is the way, the only way. There is no other way. Now, there is another response to which John spoke here, and that is to not believe or to reject the testimony of Jesus. And to do such is to make him a liar. Think about that. That's what the text says there. Look with me again at verse 10. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. That's almost hard to say has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. In the Greek text there, the word liar is emphasized. It's saying there, a liar, he, that is man, has made him. That is God. So to reject and not trust in the truth of Jesus is an attack on the very character of God. And it's deplorable because of the clear testimony that God has given over and over and over again in His Word. It's clear. And so unbelief results in judgment. Look with me at John chapter 3, holding your space here. John chapter 3. It seems that what John said in 1 John, he's also said in John. (laughs) A lot of things are repeated because it's the same author. But in John chapter 3, I want us to read verses 18 to 20 first of all. That's part of the text that we had read today in our scripture reading. John chapter 3. Of course, earlier here, uh, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. But in verse 18, it says this, He who believes in him, that is Jesus, is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the judgment, that light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Now look at verse 36 of the same chapter. The Father, he who believes in the Son, has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son and believe in Him will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on Him. Wow. Beloved, I don't want that for any one of you the wrath of God to be poured out on you. But if you continue to reject Jesus, one day you will face that wrath. So I ask again, what will you do with Jesus as you sit here today? You know, I had a friend, and I say had a friend because he's since gone to be with the Lord, an elderly friend. His name is Dick Crosby. 
My wife and I know him real, real well. A man back in our church at Mile City. And I can remember shortly after I was saved, just having a conversation with him. And I had a number of conversations with him where he said this same thing that I'm going to tell you. It's like he just forgot that he told me. But he said to me one time, he says, Kirk, do you realize that in the Gospel of John, the word believe is mentioned some 100 times? And I said, no, I didn't realize that. Well, it is. And because of that, it's important to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he would follow that up with his testimony. I thank God that I have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, that I put my faith and trust in him. And then he would go on and tell me his personal testimony of how he became a believer. Uh, he used to be a rancher uh, in southeastern Montana, about 60 miles from Miles City. And one time, a missionary came out to their ranch. And actually, there was a number of ranches in the area where they had a schoolhouse. And this missionary preached the gospel on a Sunday morning in that in that schoolhouse. And so a number of the people from the surrounding ranches were there. And he said, I can't even tell you what the message was about. But I was under conviction. He said, I went back home. And throughout that week, I had to do some backhoeing work. And while I was backhoeing, it was like the backhoe was saying to me, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. And he couldn't get away from it. It bothered him so much. Well, the missionary just happened to be there <laughs> for a full week. And that following Sunday, an invitation was given and he came and bowed his knees before Christ and embraced him as sword and savior. He never got tired of sharing that testimony. In fact, uh, he was a janitor at uh, Pillsbury Baptist Bible College as well. And I had an opportunity to stay with him a number of times while I was there. But he's since gone to be with the Lord. But he always reminded me how important it is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and how significant it is. And so this morning, what will you do with Jesus? The message is clear. It's been brought forth to us in the last month from God's word. Will you turn to him and trust him? Romans 6 and verse 23 tells us the wages of sin is death. Death there is not talking necessarily about physical death. It's spiritual death, being separated from God for all eternity. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What a gift that is. And that is what I want to turn to next in our text. You know that the testimony of Christ abides in you by believing in the Son. But there is something else here in this passage, and we find it in verses 11 through 13. I want to read them again. And the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know 
that you have eternal life. The key here is eternal life. So what other way do you know that the testimony of Jesus abides in you? The key here is eternal life. It's simply this. It's by behaving like the son. It's not just believing in him. It's by behaving like the son. Verses 11 through 13 are a continuation, actually, of the first part of verse 10. I want you to see that. Look what it says in the first part of verse 10 again. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Verse 11 picks up on that. And the testimony is this, that God has given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. You see, upon believing... The testimony of Jesus gets internalized by the Spirit of God. I mentioned that a little bit earlier. And you possess eternal life in Him. The theological word that goes with that is regeneration. Now, eternal life or life here is mentioned five times in verses 11 to 13. And the apostle was referring more to a quality of life than a quantity of life. This is about a relationship with Jesus, the eternal God abiding in you. He who has the Son has the life, has the eternal life. It's gone from the outside to the inside upon believing in Jesus. In fact, John speaks to this a little bit differently in the first part of his epistle. Go back with me to chapter 1. I want you to see the first three verses. 1 John 1, 1 to 3. John writes, What was from the beginning? What we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also so that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ what does he talk about as eternal life in you it's fellowship with god yeah fellowship you have something in common with god because you have embraced him and he's changed you Fellowship here is not talking about just having, you know, cookies and Kool-Aid with God's people. No, this is talking about a relationship with the Lord. Eternal life abiding in you. Oh, how wonderful that is. And so what should be true of those who have believed and possessed that eternal life in Jesus through the Spirit? That's a good question. The answer is that they will live as though they have Jesus. They will behave like the Son. 
as he lived, they will do the same. That's right. In fact, look what it says in 1 John 2 in verse 6. The one who says he abides in him ought himself to walk in the same manner as he walked. So if you have eternal life, Jesus internalized through the Spirit of God, you're going to be like him. Yeah. I mean, why not? Peter says it a little bit differently in his first epistle. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So if you have believed in Jesus, you have eternal life, and now you behave like the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? Again, another good question. And that brings us to what it says there in verse 13. These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You realize that you can know right now that you have eternal life? It's not presumptuous. I mean, John 3.16, that those who believe have eternal life. This is not something you're necessarily looking forward to in the future, although that is true. But you possess that right now in Jesus Christ. So what does that look like? In this epistle, John wrote some things to those who had put their faith and trust in the testimony of Jesus that would assure them they have eternal life. That's what this whole epistle is about. It's about assuring God's people, those who have believed in Jesus, that they have eternal life. And I'm just going to give you a sampling, all right? Just a sampling. I'm not going to read the whole epistle. But you want to bring this epistle into what he has just said. Look with me at chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. It looks like this. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, that we have eternal life and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. And you see that very clearly in verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, we all know that until we meet Jesus, we're not perfect. Okay, we're growing in Christ's likeness. But if you have eternal life in you, you want to please God. You want to have a pure heart. You want to have a heart that's cleansed on a daily basis. And so you confess your sins to him. Now look with me at chapter 2, beginning with verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. 
Again, I want to just make very clear here that we're not saved by obeying God. We can't obey God as lost sinners. No, we obey God because we have believed in Jesus. And that's the point he's making here. That when you get saved, the love of God is spread abroad in your heart. And now you want to obey him. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You want to please your Savior. Because you have believed in him. He is your Savior. Look with me at chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He goes on. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is of the world The world is passing away and also its lusts, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Yeah, this world, he's talking about this world system. You don't love this world system. You despise it. You want to walk in the opposite direction and please God. Look with me at chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him because we will see Him just as He is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. goes back again to 1 John 1. Yeah, we want to have a heart that's cleansed and pure before God. He's coming again, our Savior. And we're going to see Him face to face. So you want to behave like the Son. Look with me at verses 6 through 9 of chapter 3. Very, very pointed here. No one who abides in Him sins. That is, practices sin. No one who sins has seen Him or knows Him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God, born again, practices sin because his seed abides in him. And he cannot practice sin because he is born of God. Yeah, eternal life resides in you. Jesus is there through the Spirit of God. And you can't practice sin. That seed is within you. What you want to do is obey Him. Go with me further into chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. We know that we have passed out of death into life. That is eternal life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. Yeah. When you get saved, the love of God is poured out over your heart. Agape love, sacrificial love. You care for others. 
you meet the needs of others because you love God, first of all, and love them. Yeah, that's a work of God. Chapter 4, look at the first six verses. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. In other words, you declare that He indeed is God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and have overcome them because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak as from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. All this is talking about here in these six verses is that when you come to know the Lord and he abides in you, you have discernment. (laughs) You know the truth because it abides in you. You have the spirit of God who helps you to know his word and know the truth. It says in 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14, the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually appraised. He doesn't know God, doesn't have the spirit of God, so therefore he has no discernment. And then I'll just quickly jump to chapter 5, which is leading into our very text. Verses 1 to 5. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And whoever loves the Father loves the child born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. They're not weighty. It's something you want to do because you love God. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. That's a summary there of what we saw in the first four chapters. So let me ask you, is what we just read in your life Is this what your life is about, what we just read? Now, again, not perfectly. One day that will be so of us when we are glorified. But now, this should be our very heart. Because you claim to have eternal life. You claim to know Jesus. And so, therefore, what we see here in this first epistle is what should characterize one who has eternal life. You behave like the Son. And that is what John is stressing. When people look at your behavior, do they visually see the testimony of Jesus pouring out of you? <laughs> yeah, Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Well, I pray people see that in you, a new creature. Because the only way that you are going to have an impactful witness for the gospel with your tongue is by first 
having a gospel witness in your very life. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 and verse 16, So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let me tell you about another friend of mine, Bob DeLang. He's still living. I met Bob DeLang when I was about 15 years old. I was playing Babe Ruth baseball at the time. And our team was playing against his team. He was a coach. And I can remember hitting this ball deep into center field. And if the center fielder would have just stayed in his place, he would have caught the ball and the game would have been over. No, he ran up on it. <laughs> it went over his head. And I got a triple out of it. And I'm standing here on third base just clapping my hands because I just brought three runs in. And all of a sudden, Bob Delane comes out of the dugout. Now, this is a guy who had red hair. He had a big red beard and fire in his eyes. And he comes running out into left field. And he's yelling at this boy in center field. Now, you couldn't do that today, and rightly so. But then they got away with it. And I can remember looking at him saying, Whew, I wouldn't want to get on that guy's bad side. No way. Well, just to move the story along, about a year later, I got saved. 16, came to know the Lord. And our pastor was taking a group of us young people out on a Saturday morning just to invite people to church. And one of the young people in the car, as we drove by Bob DeLang's house, said, Oh, I know Bob DeLang. He lives right there. And I, my head just jerked. Bob DeLang? Oh, I know him. Uh, Pastor, I don't know if you want to go knocking on his door. If you get on his bad side, you're going to see his anger. He said, Well, you all sit right here. I'll just go and knock on the door. We prayed for him. <laughs> so he was there for about 15 minutes, came back to the car. And we said, well, how did it go? He said, you know, he's really having a lot of difficulties in his life right now. He's a miserable man. His marriage is on the rocks. He's an alcoholic and he wants to talk with me. So I'm coming back sometime this week and I'm going to share the gospel with him. So he went back in the middle of the week, shared the gospel with him. And that following Sunday, him and his wife were in church. Now, I don't know if he had embraced Christ, but our pastor did share the gospel. In fact, I went up to him after the service. And I said, do you remember me? He looked at me closely. I said, uh, yeah, I played baseball, you know, Babe Ruth baseball, and you were one of the coaches. Oh, yeah, yeah. He didn't say much more than that. But sometime over a two-week period there, he had believed in Christ, was saved, and God changed his life. Um, as I told you before, he was an alcoholic. He was one of those guys, this was his wife's testimony, that if his team wasn't winning a football game on TV, he was throwing empty beer cans at the television set. But one day she saw him go down into the basement and start bringing up all their alcohol that was down in their liquor cabinet. He must have brought up probably 50 bottles, she said. And she says, what are you doing? He says, this stuff has destroyed my life and my marriage with you. It's gone. 
And he started dumping it down the drain, every bit of it. Pulled the beer out of his refrigerator, dumped it down the drain. She couldn't believe what she was seeing. And so she was in the Word for the next couple of weeks. And by God's grace, she was on her knees receiving Christ too. What a miracle. What a miracle. But beloved, those of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ are spiritual miracles. (laughs) You are. Because you have eternal life in you. And I'm sure that many of you can give testimony to the fact that when you trusted Christ, He changed you too. And He's still changing you. You've believed in the Son. You're behaving like the Son. That's how you know that the testimony of Christ abides in you. And so again, I ask you, what will you do or what have you done with Jesus? Such an important message to ask of us because in the last month we've been preaching about Jesus and that he came. But now I'm bringing it to your heart. What will you do with him? Does this story bring you joy because you have believed in him and now behave like him? Or do you continue to go on your way saying everything is okay? Are you sure of that? You know, Solomon in Proverbs said twice, Proverbs 14, 12 and 16, 25, there is a way which seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. Is what you believe right? The only way that it's right is if it lines up with the Bible. If it doesn't line up with the Bible, it doesn't make a difference what you believe or what you think is right. This is what's right. And so you need to set aside all of that and embrace Christ and trust Him alone. And when you do, He changes your life. So will you turn from your sin and believe in Him and have eternal life? He will change you and give you an assurance that you will spend an eternity with Jesus. How wonderful that is. Think about that. As sure as you sit here this morning, you can know that you have eternal life and will spend an eternity with Christ. I can't think of anything better, more wonderful than that. There is nothing more wonderful than that. But if you don't and you continue to reject Jesus you will face judgment in hell. And you might be saying, really, Pastor? I mean, that's not a very loving message. Oh, it is loving. God loved you so much that He sent His Son so that you might be delivered from your sin. You and I can't even comprehend how much love is there. But understand this, that Not only is Jesus loving, he's also righteous and just. He's just as much righteous and just as he is loving. And if you continue to reject him, then he must punish your sin. Because you have not trusted in Jesus who took your sin for you. And so I pray that this Christmas will be a joyful one. Because you truly know Christ and have eternal life.
This is the wonderful message John shared as he closed his epistle. He wanted his listeners to get this. And it's not difficult. It's not hard. It's very clear. What will you do with Jesus today? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And what a blessing it is to just look at this passage and see the simplicity of it. But sometimes it's so simple it's hard because our hearts are hard. We love our sin. Or we're trusting in everything else but Jesus. Oh, how I pray that you would work in hearts as only you can. May today be the day of salvation for some in this congregation. And so, oh God, I trust in you to do what only you can do in the hearts of people. Convict them of sin, righteousness, and judgment. I leave that with you today. May you be glorified through it. In Jesus' name, amen.